If you will turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians chapter 3, I want to take this time as we're not in a series to pick a text that is, uh, I think, significant to mothers. Um, sometimes it's hard to see the culture you live in. It's hard to see the values sometimes. Uh, sometimes people ask me, what's it like to live, uh, to grow up in a pastor's home? And I think, well, I don't know. It's the only home I know. I, I don't know how to compare it. It's kind of like asking a fish, what's it like to be in salt water? And, you know, they just, it's all they know. And every once in a while, it's not till you step outside of your normal society, your normal culture, for you to figure out really how different it might be. This happened to me uh, last uh, fall when we were visiting uh, some of our church members that live in East Asia, and we were working with the people group and visiting them, and um, I came across a, a scene, uh, an agricultural, this is a, a, a one of the people groups you'll hopefully see a picture of, uh, that is just a typical day. Uh, of a mother working out in the fields, on the farms, and uh, you'll see that the children's with her. Uh, this is just what they do. And we passed by this scene, this lady, as I was, we were going up to a, a specific home. We went to the home, and we saw a uh, two children. I think one of them was probably uh, about uh, two. Uh, the other one was around eight, seven. I can't quite remember. Um, and these are two boys there in their home. And we asked them where the parents were. And they said, well, they're out for the day. Uh, they're working or doing whatever. Uh, this may not strike you, but as a father of a two-year-old and um, some uh, a nine-year-old and a four-year-old and an 11-year-old, uh, it struck me because I thought, my Here's a two-year-old and an eight-year-old, and they're there all day by themselves. And I had all kinds of little parental warning bells going off. Uh, who's who's taking care of you? What what's going to keep you from falling in this well over here? What's you know what 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 if you come across some animal? What what if there's an emergency? What how, how are you getting fed? And I'm just all these questions going off in my head, and I'm thinking I'm not in America anymore. All right, so how, how do I know that? I saw this contrast, and I thought, you know, this just wouldn't happen. This just wouldn't happen normally in my home, and this probably wouldn't happen in many homes that I know in America. Uh, some of you grew up in this way, and you think, yeah, that's how I grew up. No big deal. There has been a cultural shift uh, in in. Family and parenting uh, that has happened probably in the last 30-some years. Um, for those of you who grew up in the 40s and the 50s and, and 60s, especially in the farm, you were not raised in what we would call a child-centered home. You were raised perhaps maybe in a survival-centered home. And there's a little bit of a difference. All right. Yeah, child, we're glad you're here. But you know what? We've got work to do. We've got 
Uh, we've got some crops to raise. We've got some work to do outside. And wherever you fit in, then you find a job and you do it. And you get to it. And if you can't fit in, then don't get in the way. You just kind of stay off on the side. Some of you nod your head like, yeah, I remember these days. All right. Now, for my generation, we grew up and, and there was uh, a term coin called the latch key child where uh, parents were busy at work. And so the child came home from school and got the key, you know, found the key somewhere and got in and and they just had several hours to themselves. That's that's been my generation. And, and as we've grown up, there has been something that said in our head, we don't want to do that. We don't want that for our kids. And so now there is um, a parental expectation of that we will know what's going on with our child and we will structure our life so that this child uh, gets all the benefits that we ourselves wanted our, that for our own home and life becomes centered about what that child is doing. Thus, when I go, leave my bubble, and visit East Asia, and see another society, I've got all kinds of bells ringing, and thinking, wow, this is very different. Very different. A difference is not always bad. It's just different. But what I want to present to you is probably a, maybe something you won't hear in many places on Mother's Day, but... I want us to think about how do we have a Christ-centered home versus a child-centered home. And I don't want to go into all the details of this, but I do want to pick out a text from Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, where he is taking some time talking about Christian households. And I just want to get two or three verses out of this to kind of sum up, I, I think that... Uh, that is a general application for us of, of truth, of how we're to parent, how we're to mother, how we're to father, how we're to live our life, whether you're a mother or a father, <clears throat> that applies across the board. Now, you need to understand that the book of Colossians, uh, is, Colossians is a letter written from prison for Paul. Uh, this is uh, one of the, perhaps maybe his first time in prison, he's writing this, this letter. And this church in Colossae is dealing with heresy and especially the question of who is christ is is christ all that well the gospels say that he is god in flesh and this is a very significant question of a heresy uh, that he was addressing that had practical matters and evidently according to uh chapter three it had implications about the unity of the church that was going on i mean because we see that that this is very much uh, the question that's being addressed. And so in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, he's talking about who Christ is, that he is in, the, in, in Christ is the fullness of Godhead bodily. All right, so if we've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is sitting at the right of, hand of God, set your, minds, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. All right, so this is kind of his opening into the, the book of uh, uh, the chapter 3 of this book. And then from this point on, he tells us about how to put away our old self all right our sinful self this is our selfishness how to put this away and then in verse 10 and 11 you notice put on a new self all right put on christ remember christ is the fullness of god had put bodily put him on let him be the determining factor of your life and you'll find in verse 11 that christ supersedes 
any cultural barriers we've known before. Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Christ is all and in all. So when we are in Christ, he is a greater unifier than any cultural divider. All right, so that's verse 11. And then verse 12 through verse 16 is very specific of what it means to put on Christ. Verse 12, you have these characteristics, compassionate, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And then verse 13, interpersonal characteristics, bearing with another, all right, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you. Verse 14, the chief characteristic of interpersonal relationships is love. Which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ reign. Let the word of Christ make room in your life. And then verse 17 is a summary passage of verses 12 through 16. That's going to be uh, our focal text. And then verse 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. You see the specific roles. Family relationships. Wives. Fathers. Husbands. Children. And then slaves, I think this is something we can apply to employee relationships today. Um, I don't mean anything slight about that, but that was a, a, a predominant work status uh, in, in that day and time. Um, and then verse 23-24 gives some ex- explanation to this work relationship. But I think 23-24 and 25 brings out some truths that applies across the board. Applies across the board. Uh, in our life. And so if you will just, we want to read verse 17, 23, 24, 25. And let's just stand as we read this together in honor of this being God's word. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. You may be seated. I want you to take note of verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Some about family relationships. He's talking about church relationships. He says, let the peace of Christ rule. You know what the word for rule is? It's, it's where we'll get the, the idea of umpire. Let the peace of Christ be as an umpire in your relationships in the church body. Now, this, uh, this past week, we had a church softball game, and I was, I was watching, uh, I was playing in the surf church uh, softball game and watching, and uh, I got to, a, there was a certain play that I had a pretty good view of, of at second base. And uh, one of our players uh, made a great defensive play. And in my estimation, got him out. <laughs> I had a pretty good view. But there's a, such a thing as a, a ref, an umpire, in playing softball. And his view was not as good as mine, in my estimation, he had several folks in between and called him safe, called him safe. And so I thought, well, I disagree with him. But what does that mean? What does that matter? If I am a player on a game and I disagree with the umpire, what does it matter? 
nothing in the scheme of things in the softball game because I have no authority. <laughs> I'm just a player. The umpire has been granted the authority from the league just to make that call. Whether they see it or not, whether I agree with it or not, whether I think it's good or bad, the umpire calls it and says, you're safe. So what do I do? All right. <laughs> Let's play. <laughs> Let's play. And we have this passage here that says the peace of Christ rules in your heart. Umpires in your heart. So what does that mean? That when we think together as a church body, we realize that, hey, what matters for the peace of Christ? What matters for the peace in our church body? That is something that calls our decisions. Calls our decisions. Do you understand that? It's not what I think. It's not what I want. It's what the peace of Christ dictates. And so with that comes the word of Christ dwelling in our hearts. So it's not just peace for peace sake. It's peace that is married with the word of God, that which is true, that which is right according to God's word. All right. You can, you can have a you can say, let's just have peace and you can have all kinds of sin that you allow for peace sake. But it is a peace that is married with the word of God that your heart makes room for the word of Christ to dwell in your life. I would say to you, mothers, this applies to everybody. But mothers, make sure you have the word of Christ reigning, ruling, making room in your life. It's interesting you have in this passage uh, a parallel phrase in Colossians 3.16. If you put your finger there and look in Ephesians 5.18, you're going to find some interesting parallel phrasing. Where it says, don't be drunk on the wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then it goes on listing what it's like to be filled with the Spirit. And you'll see some similarities in Ephesians 5.18, as you do right here. Of the singing psalms and hymns, spiritual psalms, teaching and admonishing one another, all wisdom. I think Paul is doing this by design, by intention, is saying that being filled with the Spirit of God is very akin to letting God's word, letting the word of Christ dwell in you. That this is the shaping uh, force in your life. That you teach the word of Christ. That you're filled with the spirit. That you find strength in these things and wisdom there. And so you've got this, this going on. And so the, the mode for instruction is singing. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so we come to verse 17. We've got this summary phrase, whatever you do, in word or deed. And I would say, this means mothering also. No, it doesn't say specifically mothers, but it says whatever you do. And so this encompasses the task of mothering. That when you do it, you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to the God the Father through him. And so the name of the Lord Jesus, do it in the characteristics of Jesus. All right. So I'm going to just present to you that this is teaching us not to have a child centered perspective. But have a Christ centered perspective. So it's not whatever that makes Johnny happy, but it's whatever that makes Jesus happy. All right, so how does this translate? I think it translates in your hope for your children. What's your, what's your hope for your children? What do you hope for them? Well, what you hope for them is going to pretty well be revealed by your priorities, by your plan, by your schedule. I know there's quite a few parents in our society that hopes their children to be great athletes. 
How do I know this? Well, their schedule is pretty well dictated by it, for the most part. There's There are many who hope that their children will be great academics because everything is revolved around that idea of make sure you do well in school. And these are, are big forces in our society. But I would just, I read this and it says, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and the characteristics and the nature of Christ. Mothers, I read this passage and it seems to be pleading. Above all the things you hope for your child, hope that Christ would be in their life. Hope that the word of God would make room in their life. Hope that the peace of Christ will rule in their life. Hope that their hearts are set for Jesus. Make this part of your expectations. You know, I, it's tough when you, when you ask your child, what do you think, um, we had this kind of discussion in our own home. What, what, is there anything that you think would, would make me love you less? I just ask that for, for my, my children. Is there anything that you could do that would make me love you less? And uh, it's, it was an interesting discussion. We kind of put out some hypothetical situations out there. And I, I said, what if you walked away from God? What if you did things that hurt the name of God? And because I'm a father and what God's called me to do, I committed to them. I'm going to love you then, too. Now, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why do I commit to love them even if they walk away from God? Whatever I do and whatever do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything in the character of Christ. What is the character of Christ? What does he do with you who walk away from God? What does he do with you when you turn your back on God? What is it that you do when you create an idol and lift it up above God? What does he do? I think about Romans 5, 8, that God gave his love toward us, that even while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. This is loving in the nature of Christ. It's to say, even in that moment in time. But, you know, I asked him, I said, is there anything you can do? I asked my kids, is there anything you can do that will make me like you less? I kind of set them up. Set them up. No? I said, oh, you're wrong. <laughs> And I said, you know, you like me less sometimes, don't you? Well, loving is not the same thing as liking. Loving is a commitment of putting the needs of someone else above your own. It is an action. It is a verb. It is something you commit to do. Okay? Liking, it, it goes and comes. You know, it goes and comes. I said, there's some times when I, you know, when you make a mess of my car, I don't like you very much at that moment in time. All right. Um, But it was revealing to us because there are some moments where we saw some hesitation where whether or not they mom and dad would love them less. And they hesitated about the loving God if, if they if they walked away from God, would mom and dad love them? They hesitated on that. But you know, honestly, I wanted them to hesitate a little bit on that. 
Because it would show the matter of importance. But what if they hesitated when I said, what if you trash my car and mess up my car? What if they hesitated then? I don't know if you'll still love me, Debbie. What's the message if that's the case? The message is that I have exalted my car as much, if not more, than my walk with God. We have to be careful about what we lose our, our patience over. If we pitch a fit over insignificant things, we're putting the insignificant things and making it seem as if they matter as much as God. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so in the characteristic of Christ, what matters to Christ as we parent, as we mother, let's do this in the name and the characteristic of the Lord Christ, giving thanks to the God, to God the Father through Him, that there is a thankfulness that we have in our life that we carry on. Now, I want to go on to the next passage. That was verse 17. Just and that, and I think the point simply is, verse 17, be Christ-centered homes. Have Christ-centered home, not children-centered homes. I think that's the main point of verse 17. And that's true of anything in our life. I don't want to just pick on parenting. I mean, this is true of our, of our church to say have Christ-centered churches, not having uh, ministry-centered churches. To have Christ-centered work ethics, not uh, success-centered work ethic. Do you understand that this applies across the board? But it's Mother's Day, so, you know, we're going to talk about that. And so have Christ-centered uh, homes and mothering. But let's go to verse 23. And in the 23, 24, 25, it is couched in the relationship of, of slaves and masters. Um, but there's principles here that apply across the board. And, you know, mothers, there's some similarities, isn't there? Uh, just observing. Uh, you never stop mothering. You never stop being a mom. And so with that being said, Verse 23, what have you work hardly as for the Lord and not for men? Not for men. Knowing, and I want to give you three reasons why. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Serve Christ, not your child, to gain a reward. Serve Christ and not your child to gain a reward. I think about Ecclesiastes. It talks about this over and over again. Everything under the sun. And I think that includes families, children, mothers, dads. All is vanity. It's a uplifting passage, isn't it? Which is like, it's, it all comes to as emptiness. It all comes to nothing. And then Solomon talks about in that book how there's a cycle in life. You, you get up and you do it and you have to get up and do it again. And I think this is part of the, this, the curse of sin in our life is that as we keep on tolling, that is everything that we do keeps getting undone. Moms, can I hear an amen? <laughs> I mean, think about the day. Some of you wake up with the cries of mommy. You don't need an alarm clock. Sometimes it's in the middle of the night. Mommy. Mommy. 
And, you know, we were so excited that first time they said mommy. And you were mad they said daddy first. <laughs> you know? But then it's just continual. Mommy, can you? Mommy, mommy, will you? Mommy, I need this. Mommy. And you go fix some breakfast. You're going to have to do that again? Yeah. Yeah. Clean the dishes. Put the dishes away. Wipe the table down. Sweep the floor. You go on. About the time you finish that. Oh, it's lunchtime. Let's do it again. Have you cleaned up the room? How many times have I tell you to clean up the room? And all along the way, you're picking up things, knowing in the back of your mind, I got to do this again. I got to do this again. I don't ever stop. And goes in. Nighttime. And that moment of relief when all is quiet. You put things away. And if you could just remember that moment because you fell asleep somewhere right before that. And you wake up and do it again. And again. Until your children leave home. So what's the end result of all that? If the end result of all that is that your child will be mature, that hopefully they live on their own, uh, that they, they make their own way. And then what happens to them? They die. And for some of us unfortunate ones, they die before we do. And you go back and you think, what was all that about? What was all that for? You know, sometimes we read the, read the scriptures and we think, you know, it seems like in our mind some things are more spiritual than others. Like sitting here maybe is more spiritual. Singing is a little bit more spiritual. It's, you, you get extra points. And if you have more spiritual things in your day than not, then it's a good day before God. Thing is, I read a book in Leviticus, and it has things that seem spiritual right next to things that are totally mundane and earthly. Why didn't Why didn't Moses just say, "Okay, here's the spiritual chapter, and then these chapters are the mundane and earthly things"? He didn't divide it up. He had it all mixed up. Why? Because of what it is that everything is as worship to God. There's not a spiritual and unspiritual element that washing dishes has a spiritual element to it. Picking up things, uh, changing diapers has a spiritual element. Watching your children grow up and make bad decisions has a spiritual dimension to it. It's not just earthly. And spiritual, it's all together. But listen, I want you to just look at this passage. Whatever you do, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men, not for your child. Pick up the dishes for the Lord, not for your child. Help them to get dressed and put up with their fits for the Lord, not for them, because they're going to take it off anyway. All right. You do it. For them, and then notice, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. When parenting becomes something that you do whereby you can worship God through it, 
in the midst of it. The why of what you do is for the Lord to say, God, you put me here. This has been assigned to me. This is my lot. I'm a mother to these children. This is something of you. Or I'm not a mother of these. This is something of you, whether it's singleness, whether it's having children or having no children. Understand it is of God and that whatever station I'm in, I'm going to do this as unto God. This is the place God's put me in. And I'm going to serve him. When that attitude prevails, God, according to Psalm 7, is the one who tests the mind and the hearts. He knows these things. And the scripture says there is a reward when you are serving unto the Lord and not for men. I think about this in Matthew chapter 6, where it talks about laying up your treasure in heaven. So what do you do? Say, God, this is my child. This child belongs to you. They're, they're yours. I, I just seen them. I've sacrificed and I'm sacrificing for them. But God, you sacrificed for them. You bought them with a price. This child belongs to you. God, this purpose of this child is your purpose. God, I pray for that. In Maybe they will disobey you, God, but I pray that you will correct them and that you will bring them, bring them back to the purposes for them. This is why I've gone through labor pains. This is why I'm up at three in the morning. This is why I'm bending over all the time. God, I want to do this unto you. Let this child belong to you. It is a surrender. Mothering from the get-go is sacrifice. And I just want to ask, what are you sacrificing for? Sacrifice unto the Lord. I know there's some times where I think, man, I wish I had some adults I could talk to and have Bible study. I wish I could just sing without someone pulling on my dress. I understand that sometimes the most beautiful song and praise of worship is that which is done in the everyday, done unto the Lord. Serve Christ and not your child to gain a reward. But notice the next phrase here. This is, in verse 24, there's a sentence in a, unto itself. You are serving the Lord Christ. The emphasis here is the title. There's no Jesus put in here. It's just the Lord Christ. This is the sovereign Messiah. The sovereign anointed one. It's a kingly terminology. You are serving the Lord. And so I just want to bring to you your attention. Uh, another reason why we're to be Christ-centered. Is that you're serving Christ the Creator. And not your child the creation. See, to be child-centered is just another form of idolatry. To say, I'm going to live for them. But they are just creation. They're just someone that God has made and made them for His own purposes. And so why don't we serve Christ? He is the one who is the creator, the king. Let that be our focus. There is much more strength when you wait upon the Lord, our King and Creator, than there is when you wait upon your child. What promises are there when you wait upon a child? Well, the promises are not very good. But when you wait upon the Lord, there is strength that is found. 
and waiting upon the Lord. You remember Isaiah 40, 31? Some of you have this on your walls. You will, wound up, you will mount up with wings like eagles. You shall run and not faint. Those who wait upon the Lord. There's a difference here. When you're serving Christ, our Creator, and not your child. And so the focus is always on Christ. On where you want to go. And so things will happen that are tragic, that are bad. You'll see your child make bad decisions. But you put it in relationship to Christ. We, uh, some of you ride motorcycles. Um, I do not. Uh, I've, uh, I have a mountain bike. <laughs> and so the thing about a mountain bike, somewhat similar to a motorcycle, is that um, when you're on a, a mountain trail, single track trail, you're going down and you just only have a couple foot, a couple feet in that trail of clearance. And uh, inevitably there are trees next to the, the trail. And sometimes the trees are close to uh, where your handlebar will be. Where you will be. And, and in the temptation as you're going down uh, a mountain trail is to look at that tree. But if you look at that tree, you're surely going to hit that tree. Because there's a little bit of principle of where you look at, you'll go. Where you'll focus... You'll head toward. And so you'll see that big tree and it seems to be growing. And the, the thought is, you just start looking at the tree. Next thing you know, bam, right into it. And so you have to tell yourself, there's a tree there. <laughs> I know it's there. I want to look at where I want to go. Look at the trail. Look there. And as you focus there, your body brings the bicycle there. All right? You look at where you want to go, not at what's coming at you. When I look at this passage, it says, you serve Christ, the Lord Christ. Focus on where you want to go, not on what's coming at you. There are a million ways our families can fall. A million ways. We are not as strong as we think. It takes just but one little lie to tear our relationship apart. And not even a lie. It could be just a misunderstanding. We're frail. Instead of looking at all the pitfalls, look at Christ, the Creator, the King. But notice as we keep on going here. It says, verse 25, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. And I think this passage especially is, is significant to the slave-master relationship where it talks about uh, whether a master is treating you wrong or a slave is doing their master wrong to understand that there is an accountability. But you know what? I think this accountability doesn't just apply to employees and employers. This accountability applies to all. There is a judge. And it says that this judge is going to be impartial in his work. Serve Christ and not your child, for there is an impartial judgment that awaits. What good will it be if you have your hopes and dreams set on your child? But your child is not your ultimate judge. Your, mama, your, your child can say, but mama, you're a good mama. You did all the things for me. But did that child, did that son or daughter die for you and rise again from the dead. As I know your child's great. You may think he can walk in water. 
But I think that it probably stops somewhere a little bit before that. They're, they're not doing that for you. That's why Jesus says, forsake. If anyone doesn't forsake their father and mother and take up the cross and follow me, they cannot be my disciple. What gives the right for a Jewish carpenter 2,000 years ago to make such claims to say to you today, forsake your mom, forsake your dad, forsake your child, put me first? What right does a Jewish carpenter have to say that? Well, if he's just a Jewish carpenter, he has no right. But by that claim, Jesus was saying, I am more than your mom. I'm more than your father. I'm more than your son, more than your daughter. I am Christ. I am God in flesh. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to rise again. The fact is, every one of us has been appointed appointed by God, every one of us, to die. And after this, the judgment, unless the Lord returns, is in front of us. And the thing is, this one who would judge you, is the same one who died for you. Died for your sins. Rose again. And if you would just take that gift, understanding, God, you know what? If I'm before an impartial judgment like that, I don't really have a hope about that. I can't do enough good works to mask this. If that's the case, Jesus, if you died for me, and you died for those who are hurting, who have sinned, that's me. I can identify with that. I understand what it's like to make mistakes. I know what it's like to be imperfect. I can do that. But God, if you've died for me for this, then I'll take that. I'll take your sacrifice, Jesus. I'll I'll take what you have to offer. And he becomes that sin for us and dies on the cross, being forsaken by God, being put in the tomb, rising again from the dead to say that his sacrifice is sufficient, that we can be right with him. If Jesus did that for you, if you would just take that gift and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I want to live for you. I want you in my life. This forgiveness of my, of, of, that you give. I want that. If he's the one who's going to be the judge, how will he condemn you if he's already died for you and rose again? There is a judgment. And so, dear mothers, I go back to the very beginning. Of Psalm 31. The woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Understand, there's an accounting. God's going to judge. And I think the question may not be just, did you get up at three in the morning when your child cried? But why did you get up at three in the morning? The question may not be, did you put three good meals on the table? The question may not be, was your house clean? Is that really what God's going to judge us about? Or maybe, why? Why? Was this a worship of me? Or was it worshiping yourself? Or your children? The judgment is, is Jesus God. Is He Christ in our life?
If that's the case, and I think about this where judgment rests on those who've turned from Christ. Judgment already, already rests upon us unless we turn to Christ. So let me just ask you on this Mother's Day, with all of your heart, love God, love others. Let Jesus reign in your heart. Let the peace of Christ umpire your home. Umpire your heart. And let the word of Christ, let it be room in your life, in your heart, for Jesus' words. And in whatever you do, word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Don't serve man. Serve Christ. Knowing that there is a judgment. And it's impartial. But praise God there's grace through Jesus. Let's pray.